I was blessed to be able to grow up in central California, a little town called Lindsay, California, and our house was on the corner of my grandfather's 10 acres of oranges. Five of the acres were Valencia oranges, five of the acres were naval oranges, and you could look across from our house and see the wonderful Sierra Nevada mountain range, and it was a beautiful place to be. My grandfather uh, planted that grove, 10 acres, from seeds. He had orange seeds that he grew in a small greenhouse, hothouse, and then he budded every single one so that half would produce navel oranges, half would produce Valencia oranges. And then they planted them across 10 acres. And last year sometime, I saw a picture of my mom, my aunt, and my uncle, and they were pulling a wagon with five-gallon buckets And that's how they watered the grove for the first, I think, couple years, taking five-gallon bucket after five-gallon bucket to water until they got an irrigation system. I had the joy of my grandparents living next door, and so uh, my grandfather uh, and my dad taught me to drive the tractor, which a lot of fun when you're a young kid driving a tractor around the orange orchard. I also learned to pull sprinklers, which was not fun at all. You'd have a three or four day pull or maybe multiple days and you'd have to pull half the, this way and half that way. And it was just something that if I needed to do something or whatever, like you had to get that done. Learned how to protect the trees from bugs. Uh, but one of the wonderful things about growing up there is when those orange blossoms would come out on the trees. I don't know how to describe to you the smell of the orange blossoms, but it is glorious. Brings a smile to my face even just thinking of that. But what's even greater than the, the blossoms and the smell is harvest time. To see row after row with boxes of oranges that are filled is just a wonderful joy to be a part of seeing that being uh, uh, picked and placed in the boxes after a year of hard work. And there in Lindsay, it gets pretty hot in the summertime and to uh, uh, work out there. But my grandfather and I would be working and he would take an orange off the tree and he would take his knife and he would cut it in half and he would hand me that and we would bite into that orange and the juice would just run down and it's store-bought oranges are horrible. (laughs) I wish we could grow a bunch of oranges here because there's nothing like a fresh orange off the tree and they would just bring a smile to our face to have that together and to rejoice in the fruit And as we read John chapter 15, I think of those days and I think of the orange grove and I think of the fruit because Jesus uses a farming term speaking about the vine and the branches and he speaks about life in him and producing fruit. And if you're a Christian, you cannot take lightly John 15. Now you cannot take lightly any of the scriptures at all. But John 15, Jesus teaches the Christian, here is how to live the Christian life. And so it's so important, be a Berean in the book of Acts and read and study John chapter 15 and pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life, that the word of God would abide in you, that you would abide in Christ and that you would produce much fruit. It's such a great, important text that the scriptural truth from John 15 is this, God is glorified when his people bear fruit by abiding in Jesus Christ. Look with me at John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The Word of God, from the lips of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so we praise Him this morning and give Him thanks that He would give us His words for life and for godliness. This text um, is the very first text I ever preached. I was a junior in high school, and uh, I had, at that point, no aspirations in my mind to be uh, going into ministry. And we went to summer camp, and every year at one of our evening services, the youth ministry was to lead the youth service. And we had the youth team lead the worship, and a couple students share a testimony from uh, maybe their experience at camp. And then generally, our youth pastor would do the teaching, and he came to me uh, a couple weeks before, because we had a couple weeks after camp before we did this, and he says, Paul, you're going to preach at the youth service. I said, What? He goes, yeah, I'm gonna, you're going to preach. And he had been investing in me. I was like, no way. I'm, I'm, I'm playing uh, piano in the worship team. I'm not going to do any, say anything. And he said, no, you're going to preach, and you're going to preach out of John 15. And I was like, whoa. And he said, I'll teach you how to do this, and we'll do this and set it up. And so with great fear and trembling, began to prepare John 15, the same text that I just read to you this morning. And I had my notes and um, was so nervous that um, I was like, let me out of the worship team. I'm not going to play with the worship team because i got to focus on this. And I have a cassette tape, if you know what a cassette tape is, from that service. And about six, seven months ago, I was like, oh, I should listen to this again. And I listened to that. And I was told, hey, uh, my youth pastor said, hey, you got 20 minutes, so prepare this 20 minutes. And I'm listening to it. And in six minutes, I'm done. And I stopped, and I'm listening, and I said, I, I guess I'm done. And everyone laughed like you. I said, well, I guess we'll pray now. And that was the end. And so I know some of you only want me to do a six-minute sermon this morning, but um, we'll take a few more minutes to look at this. Um, look at John 15. The two things we'll look at this morning is verses 1 through 3, the difference between the vine and the branches and the second point in verses 4 through 8 about abiding fruit, abiding and bearing fruit. Um, look at verses 1 through 3, the vine and the branches. Uh, Jesus, again, as we've seen in the gospel accounts, uh, uses an agricultural uh, imagery uh, picture that the people would know. So when he talks about a vine and branches uh, uh, and the fruit, this would be uh, something uh, visual to them that they maybe uh, could remember or as experienced before or seen throughout their lifetime. 
And Jesus makes a a powerful statement in verse 1, and he repeats it in verse 5. Here he says, I am the true vine. He uses the same term we've seen the last five Sundays on the I am statements of Christ. When you read the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, he uses the same name, the same words that God says to Moses when Moses says, who are you? What is your name? And God says from the burning bush, I am. So Jesus uses this term, I am, ego, emi. He says, I am, I am. Is the literal translation here, the true vine, or the true vine, I am. So again, Jesus plainly and clearly, as I've said the last five weeks, he says he is God. And some of you know people who say, well, no, Jesus never said he was God. He repeatedly said he was God, and here is one of those places He says it as a matter of fact. He says it as the truth. And with that, he then says, let me tell you also about the vine dresser. The vine dresser is brought out here. When you look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as we speak of this term that we use to describe uh, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the Holy Trinity, he speaks of the Father. Again, if you go back the last couple weeks, especially in this text here, Jesus and the disciples have just had this Passover meal together. He has already told Judas to go and do what you're going to do. And Satan enters Judas and Judas goes to betray Jesus. He has already been teaching them. And this is in the midst of this teaching before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus in agony and and drops of blood are sweat from his brow. Because he knows that he is going to drink the cup of the wrath of the Father for the sins of his people. And so in this moment he is telling them important, so important truths for the life of his followers. That's why it's so important for you and I, if we are followers of Christ, that we have paid attention to the words of Christ. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. The word literally means a farmer or a husbandman, a uh, vine dresser, the one who is doing the work on the branches which he speaks of so that the branches will produce much fruit. He goes on and tells us that the branches do not produce fruit. They're worthless to the vine. They're worthless to the tree if it's a fruit-bearing tree. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, who's the he that we just said in verse 11? The vine dresser, the father. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the father, the vine dresser, does what? Cuts off, takes away. So the first thing the the father does, the first thing the vine dresser does is to remove these unfruitful branches. And when you read about the branches, Jesus is speaking of people. He's speaking of people like you and I. That is what this reference is to. And he says branches that, look at it there, does not bear fruit. Branches that do not bear fruit. This is a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a person who is not a true Christian. This is a person who has not believed in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a person who is removed. The word there takes away, it means to literally cut off. It means to literally remove branches that do not bear fruit. 
Now, when you read of Jesus' life in the gospel accounts, there's many people who are following him. It talks about masses of crowds of people at some points. When we were a few weeks back looking at Jesus' statement where he says, I am the bread of life, there was a huge crowd that was with him that day. Remember the thousands that he fed with just a couple uh, loaves of bread and some fish? And he fed thousands of men and women and children there, and they followed him the next day. And here when you read through the gospel accounts, you see that many people who at one point looked like a follower and disciple of Jesus departed from him. Turn to John chapter 6, a few pages back in your Bible. John chapter 6, in that text that we looked at uh, where Jesus says he's the bread of life, uh, Jesus goes on and says this after he is teaching in verse um, 63. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He had a number of people following after him, listening to his teaching, watching the miraculous works that he did. And yet, when the teaching became difficult, they turned away. This picture of the vine, vine dresser cutting these branches off is this picture of those who are not saved. Those who maybe look like they have been following after Christ, but they're not. And one may read through John 15 and conclude that they can't do enough good things to keep them from the torments of hell. And I would say, correct. There is no good works. There is no uh, great list of things that anyone can do to keep them from the wrath of God upon them in hell for eternity. That is why Jesus says, you have to abide in me. And I have to abide in you. Because if you try to do any good works apart from abiding in Christ, those are not good works. They're works that are worthless and useless. Anything that we try to do, we think, I'm going to go and storm this hill for God. And he's like, I never told you to go that way. Is worthless because we're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we need to pray as we abide in Christ that the Holy Spirit would fill us and strengthen us and lead us and guide us so that the good works we do are the good works that God does in us and God the Father gets all the glory. The second thing the vine dresser does, look at verse 2, go back to John 15. And every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes that it may bear more, what? Fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Pruning is very important 
for grapevines and fruit-bearing trees. Pruning of branches are so vital for the health and the fruit being produced by these plants. And if you look at this word that's used here in the text, the, the, the definition literally means to, to prune trees and vines of useless shoots or useless branches. Now, if you let a vine or a tree continue to grow unattended and to not prune of the uh, useless shoots and branches, you will have a large uh, vine or a large tree and it will produce little fruit, or maybe it might not produce any fruit. Every summer, my grandfather would pay me to go out under every single orange tree. And he would say, go in, and he taught me how to do this, to prune the tree of branches. And it was very vital so that the orange trees the following year, or maybe even two years, the benefit was from that, where it would produce more fruit. And so he would take me to a tree when he would teach me this, and, and every year he would always want to remind me. So Grandpa and I going out to the tree, he's climbing up underneath the tree, and I'm like, I got it. He said, no, we need to show you how to do this again. And he would say, you need to cut this one, and there's why we do this, and this, this branch over here split, and it, it's going to die. Just cut it off here. This one here that is dead. You need to take it out. Limbs that would cross over, that would grow into one another. He's like, hey, you got to cut this one here. Some of the orange trees that had had a lot of growth in them had all kinds of small branches all inside there. He's like, you got to cut all that out of there because they're taking up the vital water that's needed to produce the fruit. And so he would, we would go through this uh, every single year and um, figure out what needs to be cut on this tree. And you cut those things off and you throw it in a pile by the side of the tree. And between every two trees, there was always a pile and, uh, of, of these dead limbs that were cut off from there. And I was thinking about it this week. What did I use? What did I use to do that? Well, you could use some pruning shears. Some of you... Uh, use pruning shears for plants or maybe things in your home or uh, whatever, maybe to cut off the dead things. And so you could go in with an orange tree and you would begin to cut a lot of the small stuff inside. But there were also other types of larger branches and some of you like to work with big tools. And so, you know, it's like, hey, I get to, you know, whack and hack now. And so you're going in and you're cutting these branches because this is, is, is not working enough. So I really need this so I can cut uh, that branch. And then some of you know where I'm going. It's like, well, that doesn't work. And so I need to have a bow saw. Or some of you are like, I'm going to get out the power tools and I'm going to cut off some stuff there. But you've got to be careful that you know what you are pruning. And so this helps you with the larger limbs or the branches that are not producing fruit, that are dying, that you've got to remove. And so as you do this process, you have all this stuff that's being removed out of the tree. And sometimes you look at the tree and you're like, I, t I remember telling my grandfather, it's going to die. He's like, no, it's going to produce more fruit. Just watch next year. Watch two years later. Watch three years later. Every so many years, he'd bring in this equipment that he'd rent, and a guy would come through and cut the tops of the trees off. You're like, you're killing the trees. He's like, no, it works better this way. And they'd go down the sides in another year and cut the sides of the trees, and these things would look like little squares. But it was for the benefit to produce much fruit. And he was right. The amount of fruit, some of those years during the pruning, the fruit and the amount, the boxes weren't as full. 
But a couple years later, the boxes are just packed full. And the fruit and the joy of that is wonderful. God the Father is described as doing the pruning like that in the life of his people. And you think about this for a minute. What does it look like when God the Father prunes one of his own? What does it look like when God the Father prunes the life of the believers so that they would produce more fruit? Well, some of it is not fun. There's hardship, maybe discipline, testing, suffering, that we would be reminded that the Father allows pain and loss and suffering and trouble in this world. Don't, don't forget our study in James. Go to James chapter 1. Go to James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4. We saw this last year when we studied the book of James. And I've repeatedly brought it back to you because if you're a follower of Christ, the Word of God, Jesus says, you are being pruned. And you need to know that the pruning is for your benefit and God's glory. It says in verse 2, count it all what? Sorrow? What's it say? Joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing the father prunes his children because he loves them the father prunes his children because he loves them and he will receive the glory from the fruit that's produced in their life by the power of the holy spirit hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm not telling you to pray for God the Father to prune you. But when I read this, I'm like, I should pray that God the Father would continue to prune my life so that I produce much fruit. It sounds fearful. It sounds tough. I don't want to go there at all because I just want to have joy every day, Lord, and just fall asleep and wake up in heaven. But Jesus told the disciples before he died, he says, in this world you will have what? Trouble and hardship. You know this. Don't ever promise any person who is uh, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe in faith in Jesus Christ and they're saved by faith in Christ, don't ever tell them things are going to get better now because that's a lie. Yes, in eternity, things are wonderful, glorious, being with the Lord forever, forgiven of your sin. But don't ever promise life will get better because God the Father just may be using the troubles in their life to prune them for His glory and their joy. Look at verses 4 through 8. Let's take a minute here and look at abiding and bearing fruit. Abiding and bearing fruit. Look back at John 15, verse 4. Jesus says, abide in who? It says, abide in me. And then it says, I in you, that he abides in us. When a person comes to faith in Christ alone for salvation, we are told from Scripture that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are now the temple of God. 
And we worship him by everything we say and what we do. And the Holy Spirit of Christ dwells in us. He says, abide in me and I in you. And what he's describing here is salvation. He's describing the life of the follower of Christ. He uses this term in John 15 ten times. You think once, twice, twice is important, three times important. Jesus ten times uses this same word. It means to remain in or to dwell in. And when you read, those of you who are English experts and you know the tense of, of, of the, the verbs and, and the sentence structure, the sentence structure when he says abide is always used here as a continuous action in the future. So he's telling the disciples, you need to abide in me and I'm going to abide in you continually in the future. Always. There's no direction that says, okay, abide with me for the first six months of your life as a Christian and then just wait until I come back. No, daily, hourly, every second as a believer, you are to abide in Christ and Christ abides in you. The Holy Spirit seals your heart. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. Even though you can quench the power of the Holy Spirit in the way that we disobey the Lord, you will never lose the Holy Spirit because if you lose the Holy Spirit, then you lose salvation. And we read John chapter 10 a couple weeks ago, spent two weeks in that, and we know from this that God keeps his own and he never loses any of the sheep. And so he says, abide in me and I in you. He uses that word in when he says abide in me and I in you. He uses it 14 times. And every time it's this emphasis of the relationship with Christ, which is evidenced, which is the evidence of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And the new has come. And if you look back in John 15, Jesus says in verse 4, As the branch, the person, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot produce any fruit unless you abide in the vine. And that is who? Jesus Christ. You can't produce fruit. That's from Jesus' words, unless you abide in him. And so again, it's clear Jesus is repeating himself here um, how to identify a true branch that is in the vine and one that is not. A branch that is in the vine will bear fruit. That's the words of Christ. There is not, no such thing as a fruitless Christian. I might have said it before. I came upon a plum tree one day. I don't remember where I saw it. I like plums. My grandfather had a plum tree. And I found out it was a fruitless plum. I'm like, what in the world? Why would you have a fruitless plum tree? Horrible. They look nice. There's no fruit. There's no such thing as a fruitless Christian church. You're either in the vine Abiding in Christ, and Christ abiding in you, or you're not. And the vine dresser cuts you off. Night or day. <clears throat> Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. 
Second Peter chapter 1 helps us understand why we need to abide in the vine is because the vine, the true vine, Jesus, provides every single thing a Christian needs for life. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Who is the Him? Jesus Christ, who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, like eternal life, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And he goes on, for this very reason, add to your faith these things. Just like the book of James, James writes, faith is always accompanied by what? Works. Scripture never teaches works will save you. Faith is always accompanied by works. Jesus says, abide in me, you will produce fruit. No such thing as a fruitless Christian. So if you're a follower of Christ, you may think the fruit is very little right now. Maybe some of you, hey, the fruit at this time of my life is much. It's in abundance. Either way, a true Christian will provide, will, will produce fruit, not by their own power, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. As you're turning there, think for a minute about this. Think about all the good works you do. Think about all the good accomplishments that you do in life. Part of the problem is we think, my good works, the good works that I did we need to take the my and the I regarding your works and my works and know that it's clear that the works are not ours. The works are God's that he prepared beforehand. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by what? Grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. Praise the Lord. It is the gift of who? God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus' church for what? For what? Bad works? For no works? No, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And so you got to go back and read chapter 1 and 2 together, that we should walk in them. Christ's plan for his people as they abide in him is walking in the spirit of Christ providing an abundance of fruit that they know that only happens because of the power of God and God gets all the glory and we receive joy because we're in Christ if you look at John 15 here in verse 5 Jesus repeats again what we saw in verse 1 I am the vine he says again I am God and he says and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Is it little fruit? No fruit? Is it tiny fruit? No, he says, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But yet, but I went and did this. Again, the key is, I did this. 
I went on that mission trip. I went to church. I taught this class. I served in this way. I went and did that stuff behind the scenes. I, I, I. And again, because of our sin nature and the pridefulness of our heart, it's so easy we want to take all the glory, right? And we feel good. I went over to this person's house and I went and took them a meal and I did this and I helped over this group over here and I went on this. And we feel good about it. And the problem and the temptation is we want to give ourselves all the glory. When there should be joy from those good works, but that we would be quick to praise the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, because I would have never gone and done that unless you did that in me and stirred that up and produced that fruit. And so always, always, always look to Christ we abide in him, he in us. He, he produces the fruit and he gets all the glory. And we get joy from knowing him as our Lord and Savior. But verse 5, he says, those who are in him, they bear much fruit. I, again, I wish I had a crate full of oranges from my grandfather's grove that now my dad takes care of, his grove now, that I could just give you all an orange this morning. Again, to open those up and to eat the oranges. Even if you don't like oranges, you would like these. And it's like, wow, so refreshing on a hot day. But taking a bite and having joy. There is joy in the life of the believer when you are doing the works that God directs you to do. And the good works are evidence of the person who abides in Christ. The good works are the evidence of a person who's saved by Christ. And we can read these things as we've studied many times, the Holy Spirit regenerating, uh, causing us to be born again, making us new. And the result is fruit. Galatians chapter 5. Read Galatians 5 this week. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. When you read that in its original language, it's not individual fruits. It's one fruit. You can't separate self-control from love. You can't separate this one from this one. The believer produces by the Holy Spirit all the fruits of the Spirit, even though you might say, I haven't been very self-controlled lately. My patience is out the door. I'm good at the love part. No, the believer is to produce all of that fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And there are times where the harvest of love in your life is not as much as the harvest of patience. And I'm thankful that we have even a list like that. Or you can read 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 that we were reading there. Because it lists these things, add your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, and all these lists, things, these fruits of the Spirit in our life. We can examine our life as the Father examines your life and prunes you. And we can, according to the Word of God, read these things. And the Lord can, through, can put upon our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's an area that you are, I'm working on your life, and I'm pruning your life. You need to become more patient. And we read the Word of God, and we learn and grow. And we go, oh, Lord, that's why you're allowing that in my life. That's why this is happening here. Because you're pruning me to be more patient. You're pruning me to produce more fruit in these areas. But yet, if you're like me, 
we can sometimes go 100 miles a, uh, uh, an hour all week long, and we wonder why this is happening, and woe is me, and we get to this point, we finally stop, and it's like, oh, Lord, forgive me. You're working on this on my life right now. We should pray that not only the Father would prune us, but that he would give us understanding to see what he's doing, and the pruning that he's doing, that we would be obedient, we would take joy in that, even as that may be one of the hardest things that you ever face in your life as a follower of Christ. Verse 6. Again, Jesus is very clear. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Some people use this text to argue that a true Christian can lose their salvation. When I was much younger, I used to believe that. And then as I began to read John chapter 10, which we just studied, so many believers love John chapter 10. It says, Jesus will not lose any of his sheep, and Satan can't even steal the sheep out of the Father's hand. Praise the Lord. And then they get to John chapter 15 and go, oh, wait. Well, man, am I not producing a fruit? Is God going to cut me off? I already profess faith, in it. And, and people begin to believe something that I believe is not true when you read Scripture. If no one can take anyone out of the Father's hand, that means you can't take yourself away from the Father, because He is the one who grants salvation. We love the Scriptures that say salvation belongs to the Lord, and we love that, but we don't like that at times because we want to think that salvation belongs to us. No, salvation belongs to God. You cannot take away the salvation that he grants you because he holds you in his hand and Satan can't take you from him and he will see you home. Philippians chapter 1. Because, again, let me read Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this, the Apostle Paul says, that he who began a good what? Work in you will bring it to what? Completion of the day of Jesus Christ. And so if we agree with John 10, God started a good work in me, but somewhere I got lost in the middle and he's not going to finish it, then we're taking Philippians 1.6 and saying, God, you're a liar. The apostle Paul just wrote some lies in there. That, you, that God, you're not doing enough work that you started that you could get me to there. But that is the doubting that happens in the life of the believer because the trouble in the world. I believe that many of us struggle as believers so many times thinking because the world programs us in everything. Do these things and you get a good result. And so again... We've used it many times. Chobe used this just a few months ago. I did these things for the Lord. He loves me. Oh, I failed in this. He loves me not. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And it's like taking John 10 and John 15 and going, oh, he loves me. Oh, he loves me not. No. If you abide in him and he abides in you, you'll produce much fruit to the glory of God. But if you do not abide in him, you will be cut off. It's the first thing that the father, the vine dresser, does. It's like the parable 
of the soil or the parable of the sower in the gospel accounts in which Jesus speaks of the farmer, another farming term, scattering the seed and there's seed that falls in the hard path and it says the birds take it away and he tells his disciples that's a person who that Satan takes away, that they have no belief or faith in God at all. And then it says there's a soil cast on the ground that has rocks underneath it, not rocks on top, but rocks underneath. And these things uh, sprout up real quickly and the roots hit the rocks, but they die and wither when the sun comes because there's no abiding in in the water there's no life there and so they're excited about the lord for a minute but then they die out and then there's a seed cast among the soil with the thorns and the thorns grow up with the plant and uh jesus uses this term in a number of different ways and as they do it, it chokes out the plant and jesus goes on tells disciples those first three don't produce fruit only the one in the good soil and he said the farmer casts on the good soil and those plants sprung up and they grew and grew and grew and multiplied and fruit came. And Jesus said, those are the ones who abide in him and he in them. Those are the ones who are saved. Those are the ones who are disciples of Christ. Those are the ones who are followers. They're saints, as, as Paul writes to the churches. They're those who are Christians. But there are many, as we read in Matthew 7 the last three weeks, who will come to Christ on the day of judgment and will say, Lord, didn't I do this? Lord, I, I went out of my way and did this and this and this. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. There is a difference from being in church and being in Christ. There is a difference in stating that you are a Christian and abiding in Christ. Every summer, after the pruning was done, would go down every row and either by hand drag it out or with a trailer loaded up and we'd take all the dead branches away from the orange grove. We'd pile them up sometimes. I mean, it's a massive pile. And you set fire to it. I mean, it just instantly goes up. So hot, you've got to stand a long distance away. And as I thought of that, those fires, I thought of these texts and Jesus' words and a picture of the fact that there will be people who will be in hell for eternity facing not just these eternal fire, but the reality of the wrath of God the Father upon them for eternity. That's why I beg and plead with you, if you're not abiding in the vine, to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Confess him as Lord. Because if you are not abiding in him, you will be cut off for all eternity. The last two verses we close with, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Know that verse 7 is abused by many televangelists saying, Oh, just you have enough faith and God's just going to grant you everything. You want that house, that car, this whatever, just do that. No, uh, guard and read Jesus' words here. This is the assurance that comes with a follower of Jesus. He says, if, two things, he says, if you abide in me, so he's talking about a believer, he says, and my words abide in you, the result is, is you will pray according to the will of God. 
Sometimes we just pray and ask God for stuff that is not at all in God's will, and we're like, why didn't he answer? Because it's just something I made up that I thought I needed so I'd be happy in life. But he says, if you abide in his word, in him, and as we read the word of God, as we spend time, I, I, again, the reason for the devotional guide thing this week, there's something for you to read every day. If you, again, if you didn't get it in the email this week, um, fill out a card, we'll send it to you, or go to the website and download it. It's simply that you would just read about that week before Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that you would abide in Christ and his word so that the Holy Spirit would cause growth in you and that you would produce fruit. And so... As you abide in God's word, the Holy Spirit will direct and change and develop and grow your prayer life. And maybe years down the road, you'll pray differently than you do today because the Holy Spirit's been doing a work in you and God the Father's been pruning you. You're like, oh, man, that was really foolish when I used to pray for those things. But now I know God wants me to pray these things. Sometimes you just need to open Scripture and pray the Scripture that you're reading and asking for, which Scripture is filled with how we should pray and seek the Father. John chapter 8, verse 31 it says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And back in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. I pray that we would be a people who would do good works, that people on the outside would see those good works empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they'd praise God, that they would see those things and give glory to God. Again, I so enjoyed the day that they would come, maybe it's two days worth, to pick oranges on my grandfather's grove. Before I left my office, I was like, oh, there's a picture similar like this. And as I walked out, the, I was like, oh, it's so small. I wish I had this one on the screen because it's the same picture like that, but it's just box after box after box after box after box just filled with oranges. And the harvest is wonderful. Grandpa would be, you know, days before just getting things ready. He'd be all excited, and he would just be looking at these things. And then the day would come, and he would fill, they would fill these orange boxes. And this verse here is verse 11 of John 15. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I was looking for it this week, but somewhere I have a picture. If you go back a picture to those rows, and my grandfather's standing in the row, and all the oranges are filled there, and he's got the biggest, proudest smile. And he's just standing there, and it's like he's just so joyful. The joy of the Lord is the strength of God's people. And you may be here this morning and say, there is no joy in my life. I'm a follower of Christ, but yet all I have is trouble in my life. Pay attention to what God's doing. He may just be pruning you in a way that you're responding in sorrow because sorrow is real with trouble in this world, but he's doing it because he wants you to know his joy. 
And for all who abide in Christ and Christ who abides in him, they have eternal, everlasting, ever-growing joy to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning uh, that you, uh, even though we don't want to ask, would continue to do the pruning work that is needed to cause us to produce much fruit and that from that there would the joy of Christ would be in our life. Father, I pray for any who are here who are in the midst of some hard pruning right now in their life and you're doing a work in them that they don't even see yet. Father, would you help them to see that the work you're doing is good? Would you bring them through that in that passage in James that they would count it joy that you love them so much that you would do the work to cause them to produce fruit in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this week as we reflect on the work that Christ has done to save us, his death and his burial and his resurrection, that you would use that to grow us in Christ and that you would be glorified in all the things that you do to cause fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen.